todo el mundo. Pero eso fue realmente... Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. Christy Alexander Hallberg is the author of a rock music-inspired novel called Searching for Jimmy Page, and she is also the host of a podcast, Rock is Lit, which is devoted to fiction about the bands, artists, and music we all love. It's really niche, and I love Christy's cool and unusual finds. For instance, did you know that the Yardbirds drummer and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Jim McCarty has written two books? I didn't. So let's get Christy on the line to talk about her novel and more. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I found your novel a few years back. Um, and of course, the title grabbed me as a huge Jimmy Page fan and Led Zeppelin fan. Um, I have one other fictional Led Zeppelin book where the author used the band as a springboard um, but yours is a little different. Um, it's a really beautiful family story, kind of a coming of age. So I'm wondering if that is based in truth or how did you come up with the concept? Well, a little bit there. Like I grew up in Eastern North Carolina and the town in the story is called Full River. And it's loosely based on my hometown of Greenville, North Carolina. And so there's there are lots of little nods to Greenville in there in the surrounding area. My mom was more like the grandmother in the book than the main character's mother. The thing that's really autobiographical is the great-grandfather in the story, Jesse Baker. I even gave him my great-grandfather's name. He actually did take this strange mail-order class on faith healing to try and heal his wife of breast cancer. And it, it didn't work. It was this horrendous experience, as my grandmother used to tell me. So that always fascinated fascinated me that that story and the other stories of my great grandfather so that part made it into the novel and then I did I made several pilgrimages to the UK to track down Jimmy Page so there's some things that overlap in that respect too 
Yeah, I think that this title searching for Jimmy Page is metaphorical because people are searching for different things throughout the story. Can you give us a brief rundown of the plot? Yes. Searching for Jimmy Page follows 18-year-old Luna Kane as she journeys from her family's farm in eastern North Carolina to England in the winter of 1988 to solve this mystery that her free-spirited dead mother Claudia set in motion when Luna was a child. Could Jimmy Page be her father? So that's that's the plot. That's the setup. But I think that book is really at heart about grief and mother-daughter relationships and using myth and art to create our own personal narratives. Why did you choose Jimmy Page as the focal point, um, say, as opposed to another guitarist that we all know and love? Okay. I love that you're a fan of Jimmy Page because you'll get it. You'll understand. I mean, there's just something mysterious and enigmatic and dangerous and seraphic about him that just drew me to him. And I've always been drawn to that kind of paradox, I think. But it really started when I was 15 years old. I came home from church of all places with my mom to find my older brother watching the concert movie, the Led Zeppelin concert movie, The Song Remains the Same on MTV. So my obsession with that band, especially Jimmy Page, has been this amalgamation of the sacred and the profane from day one. And he just embodied that that thing that I, I think I was missing out on as a teenage girl in the mid 80s in a small southern town. I didn't really feel like I fit in. It was like the Messiah has arrived when I saw that movie and he he came across the screen. And my big brother, Steve, was a drummer in various rock bands around town and he idolized John Bonham. So that was another pull to that band for me. And I'm just a sucker for myth and lore. I mean, I'm Southern after all. And <laughs> goodness knows that that band cultivated both. And I just found it fascinating. And certainly myth and lore, namely family lore, creeps into my novel. So that that sort of is the reason that I was drawn to him in particular, but the band in general. Well, have you heard anything from Jimmy Page about your book? Nope. I have no idea if he's heard of it. And honestly, I don't know if I want to know. I mean, there's a part of me that really does. I would love to talk to him about it. But then the other part of me is afraid of, of that, that kind of a conversation. I've been in contact with some folks who are or were a part of the Led Zeppelin posse, so to speak. Dave Lewis, who founded the Led Zeppelin fan magazine, Tight But Loose, has been on my podcast. And we've had lots of conversations, actually, beyond the podcast. And the, that fan magazine, Tight But Loose, is what he founded. And then I've talked with Danny Goldberg, who was vice president of Swan Song Records. And now you, because you interviewed him. I did, yes. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And I used to subscribe to Tight But Loose. I was a real zep head as a teenager and uh, cool. i remember those days of searching for the bootlegs and um <laughs> yeah posters plastered all over my walls and everything so yeah there's something is yes kind of mystical about led zeppelin that's hard to define but it must have been really fun to write about well yeah it was and it was fun to make all those trips to england to visit all of the locations the, the led zeppelin fan sites that show up in the book. I've been to all of those places. So going to them changes your perspective of those places. And it certainly, I think, made it easier to write about. What was your favorite location that you saw in England? Oh, gosh. 
If there is surveillance footage of Tower House in England, I'm on it four different years. So I'm probably on some list about, oh my God, there's that woman, that stalker again, get her out of here. So <laughs> I never got to go inside, obviously, but it's such a magnificent house. It's just interesting to stand outside and look at. Um, I went to Old Mill House in Windsor, which is a house Jimmy Page used to own. And it's the house in which John Bonham passed away. So that had a, a certain eerie feeling when I was standing outside the gates there the place that probably means the most to me is Headley Grange, where they recorded a lot of Led Zeppelin IV because I had an invitation to go to that, that manor house. My husband had died, and he died in 2014, and I was going back to England in 2015. That actually was 10 years to the day of my first trip, and I went the first time in 2005 because I was dealing with the grief of losing my mother. Mm. So, yeah, the 2015 trip had was very significant to me, and I had not been able to make it to Headley Grange in the during the first two trips. So I tracked down the owner online and sent him a snail mail letter and explained the situation and asked if if it would be okay if I came. And he wrote me back and said absolutely. So I got there and he took me on a tour of the house and let me walk up the stairway to heaven and showed me the parlor where the fireplace was, where Robert Plant wrote a lot of the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven. And that was just a magical, magical day. I'll bet. I know that, or I feel that places do absorb sort of the spirits of the past and retain them within the walls of it. So I imagine yeah. that must have been quite profound. Yes. And getting to Alistair Crowley's former home near Inverness, which Jimmy Page also owned, Boleskine House. That was that was quite an adventure too, but the Headley Grange visit will always be the most important one for me. Um, yeah, didn't Boleskine House, did that burn down? Or I read something recently where it's not there anymore, or it's being restored. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, the ruins are there and they are, as I understand it, restoring. I went in 2018, and the fire, the first, it's actually been on fire twice. The first time was in 2015. So when I got there, the, the place was in ruins. And I think there was a second fire not long after I left or 2019, some, some time around in there. So now they are trying to rebuild. Yeah. Um, well, it is a historic location, even if it weren't for Jimmy Page. Certainly. I, this is kind of a broad question, but do you have a favorite Led Zeppelin song or album? Or I'm wondering, like, was there anything that really inspired you when you were writing your book? Yes. And it's going to be the obvious answer. Led Zeppelin 4 is, it will always be my favorite. I love all their albums, but that one is always going to be my favorite because it's probably the first one that I fell in love with. And that music you hear during your formative years just stays with you. So it's the album that I would send anybody to who wasn't really familiar with Led Zeppelin. I would say start there and then you can branch out. And the song Four Sticks is on that album. And that is a major motif in my novel. So I use a lot of the imagery from that song in the story. And the song itself just plays a big role. So that's my pick. Now I want to shift gears a little bit to your podcast, Rock is Lit, which I think is Absolutely brilliant. I think we should put the spotlight on more authors who love rock music. Um, 
how did you come up with the idea and when, and um, how did you put it all together? I was doing a lot of promotion for my novel and unbeknownst to me, I was a guest on a lot of podcasts that were with the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'd never heard of the Pantheon Podcast Network, had no idea that all of these shows were a part of it, but there was this one time when I was trying to track down a podcast host, and I can't remember now who it was, and I mistakenly sent the email to the Pantheon Network main email address, and so the, one of the founders, Peter Ferrioli, wrote me back and said, well, this is not this is not the address of the podcast you're looking for, but I noticed that you've been on a bunch of our shows, and I wondered if you had any thoughts about doing a podcast yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had never thought about that before. Didn't know the first thing about what would be involved in doing a podcast. I certainly didn't know how to audio edit or anything like that. But I got to thinking, there are no podcasts that are just devoted to rock novels. And I don't know why, because it's an exploding literary subgenre. I mean, there's so many books now. Daisy Jones and the Six is just one of them. That are that have come out. I mean, there should be whole sections devoted to rock novels in bookstores, especially in music-centric cities like LA and New York. So, I mean, there are podcasts that uh, have a lot of music books that they feature, but they tend to be nonfiction with the occasional novel thrown in. So, I thought, well, that if I'm going to do a podcast, that would be what I would want to do it on. And they like the idea, so. We just uh, brainstormed and, and came up with different ideas about how we could do it. And several months later, the first episodes came out and here we are. It's been a year. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Well, you mentioned uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, which I think is, you know, the highest profile rock related novel that I can think of, not only in recent years, but, you know, maybe in the past decade or so. What are some of others, though, that maybe need some love that you'd like to put the spotlight <laughs> on? There actually are a lot. So I'm just going to name some that are, yeah. have been critically acclaimed. Um, Jennifer Egan's Pulitzer Prize winning A Visit from the Goon Squad is just fantastic. And I'm still trying to get her and Taylor Jenkins read on the show. If anybody out there knows these people, send them my way. So the rest of the authors I'm going to name have been on the podcast Dana Spiota, uh, her rock novel, Eat the Document, was nominated for the National Book Award some years back. Jeff Jackson wrote Destroy All Monsters, the last rock novel. He's actually the person that introduced me to this whole subgenre. I'd never actually heard of rock novels before. And then I discovered, oh, God, there's so many out there. Then Zachary Lazar's novel, Sway, is just fascinating. It brings together members of the Manson family, the early Rolling Stones, and the avant-garde films of Kenneth Anger in a fictional setting. That book is fabulous. Oh, good. Yeah, just put that one on my wish list. So yes. <laughs> I'm glad to know mm -hmm. it's worth, worth my while. Absolutely. And Chris L. Terry's Black Card is great. John Ray's Gone to the Wolves is, to my knowledge, the first metal-centric novel that really treats metal with respect rather than parody. And then the last one I'll mention is just kind of a shameless plug here. Garth Risk Hallberg's City on Fire. He he is the son of my late husband. So I should full frontal disclosure here. Yes. Okay. Uh, what's that <laughs> one about? 
Well, City on Fire was, I, I wanted to name that because it was just made into an Apple TV Plus series. So that has been out there. I think it dropped in May. And the series is quite different from the book. There's some overlap, but the time period's totally different. But check out the book and then check out the series. Both are good. Okay. And um, do you have another novel in the works or what's coming up next from you? I actually am working on the sequel to Searching for Jimmy Page. I I can't say too much about it, but <laughs> okay. I did, yeah, I did a research trip to LA last April to kind of get the lay of the land and visit certain rock and roll landmarks like the Rainbow Bar and Grill, the Whiskey, and Pleasant Gaiman actually gave me a tarot card reading at her house while I was there. So that was cool. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. She's in she my is. documentary about the venture. She was on a, the cover of one of their singles. I know. I love that documentary. I saw Pleasant <laughs> in you. there. Yeah, John Fogarty. Awesome. John Fogarty was also in that documentary, which I got a big kick out of because I interviewed him when I was 16 or 17. I was in high school. Oh, he, wow. Yeah. He was on his Rockin' All Over the World tour, and he came to my hometown. And my dad used to he used to book the acts, the um, concerts for the local college. So I got backstage passes. And anyway, I got to talk with him a little bit. And he was incredibly nice to me. This kind of, you know, flighty little 17, 16, 17 year old girl. He was very nice to me. You know, I, I could also say to you, I'm sitting here and we're, we don't have our cameras on, but I, I fished out my Ventures Christmas album from my closet. I stole that from my mom. Um, (laughs) This is that album was the first Christmas album I remember. And you should see it. It's in tatters. It's got tape holding the the cover together. But that was always my favorite album from the time I can remember. So it was just such a thrill to see that documentary. And it was just a great documentary. Uh, Thank you so much. That was a real labor of love. And I feel really good that my dad was able to watch it before he passed because as you know it takes a few years to make a documentary so I'm glad that he saw it and he approved and that was really the icing on the cake so to speak for going through all that work absolutely that must have just been incredible for you for both of you yeah yeah it was Christy I want to know how did you get started with writing was it journalism or did you start writing fiction. I mean, this is something that I think all writers are compelled to write, no matter what it is, even if they don't have, say, a publishing deal or an outlet. It's just something that we have to do. Yes. Oh, gosh, I started writing little short stories and poems when I was probably nine years old, somewhere around in there. And it just progressed from there. I never I didn't really take it seriously. Until I read Essie Hinton's novel, The Outsiders, when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. And that book really changed my life. It was the first book that really grabbed me. It was the first book that I really could relate to. And I thought, there's a voice here that is accessible. And it it seemed like maybe I could do that. So that was a very inspirational book for me in terms of pushing me towards writing. And then later on, I read Jack Kerouac's On the Road and other just countless other books that were that inspired me to write as well. But um, I got my MFA in creative writing from Goddard College. And I didn't I, I didn't actually do a whole lot of writing after then because my mom got sick 
and died while I was working on that degree. And it really sent me into a tailspin. And I think I just had to process that and do a little living before I was actually ready to sit down and write what would finally become Searching for Jimmy Page. And I think that's the book that I was always meant to write. I mean, I hope there are a whole lot more out there that I'm going to write, but that's the one that I, I know I was really meant to write. Yeah, I can really feel your soul coming through in the mm. words, which is something that you really can't force. It has to be natural. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, if you had the same experience, but with bands that you enjoyed as a teenager, um, <clears throat> especially Led Zeppelin, of course, sure. but if they, when they would write songs that were based on books like Tolkien or something like that, you know, like uh, Led Zeppelin's known as the uh, Sex, Drugs and Hobbits band. <laughs> so, of course, <laughs> I read those books because Robert Plant liked them. Did you have the same kind of experience? Absolutely. And they led me to, I, I read several books by Aleister Crowley and not, not saying I'm a fan of, of Crowley, but yeah, the band opened up a lot of not just literature like Tolkien. And I read those too, as you did for the same reasons, but they also opened up a whole world of music that I hadn't encountered before then, like Joni Mitchell. Like I'd never really listened to Joni Mitchell before. And I found out Robert and Jimmy loved her. And I do too now. She's a, I'm a big fan of hers and Robert Johnson and on and on. So they, it, it really, they were my gateway drug to a lot of stuff. Yes. I feel like listening to music, particularly of the sixties and seventies, when I feel it was more literary, mm -hmm. that could learn a lot from the bands that you listen to. Yes. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you interviewed John Fogarty. How did, now you told me how that came about, but were you writing for the school paper or what was that? Yes. All? Yes. I was editor of my high school newspaper and I, I didn't, I say interview, but really it was a short conversation because his manager told me that he didn't have time for that, but that he would talk to me very briefly. So I, I, I got a whole article for the newspaper out of the experience and the conversation, but it, it was less an interview. That must have been exciting, though. Oh, very exciting. I loved that my dad had that job because I got to meet James Brown when I was 14. And um, Joan Jett was my first concert. I got to go backstage and meet her. And of course, this is nothing compared to what your life has been. And who you've had the opportunity to interact with. But for, for me in Greenville, North Carolina, it was it was a big deal. Oh, absolutely. What a great opportunity that that his career afforded you as well. Yes. What is the best place for fans to find and follow you online? You can go to my website, christyalexanderhallberg.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Christy Hallberg. Rock is Lit, is, you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the major platforms. And Searching for Jimmy Page, you can pick up wherever, at your local indie bookstore, Amazon, or wherever. There's ebook, audiobook, paperback, all that good stuff. But I wanted to say to you, Stacey, you got to come on my podcast because you've got some rock horror books out that I would love to talk to you about. <laughs> I do. Yes. Um, so that would be fantastic. I would really enjoy that. Thank you, Christy, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. This has been wonderful. 
This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. <laughs>